0: Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, you can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Today we celebrate one of the... Uh, um, what is most often referred to as Palm Sunday in Christian churches. Uh, the name is derived from the events surrounding from Jesus' entry into Jerusalem during what we consider like the first part of that Holy Week, the very uh, first part of that that would really begin to capture all kinds of different events, very much highs and lows. And this entry of uh, Jesus into the heart of Jewish tradition into the heart of kind of their main central focus city is one of the uh, uh, incidents of Jesus' life that is found in all four Gospels. They they all tell us about that. But what is the significance? When we really begin to break down and think about what Palm Sunday is, I think that many of us, especially if we grew up in the church are each a little bit familiar with church history, that we can say, okay, here's what Palm Sunday was. Here's what Jesus was doing. But what is the significance to that? See, to many people, Palm Sunday represents victory and triumph. And in many ways, it is that. It is kind of, If you want to think of, of the ministry of Christ as a funnel, that kind of helps me. I'm a visual person. And when we see the, the, this funnel, it starts kind of broad. Not that God had broad perspective, but humanity had a broad perspective. And it starts to come down to the purposes of God. And it, begins, it becomes more and more central to what we see God very much pronouncing. And, and a lot of people still at this very wide perspective. In fact, the very reason I believe that they were celebrating this Messiah on Palm Sunday is because they thought that their political Savior had come. That this one, it, it says that in scriptures, is to build the kingdom. It wasn't so much about Jesus, but that he was going to be this one. And we've talked about that time and time again as we've been going through Mark. But well, we see how even the disciples get very confused about that. That at those high moments of the, of the ministry of Christ, how they say, okay, this is the chance. This is the time that we go and we grab, you know, the authority and the leadership and that we kind of take this following of people and we do something with it. And every time we see Jesus kind of retreat from that, certainly retreat from the limelight. Why? Because he knew that their kingdom that they had in mind was very much an earthly kingdom. It involved a political agenda, it involved a lot of different things. And Jesus had to repeatedly, I can't tell you how often he had to repeatedly tell them, guys, my kingdom is not of this earth. It is a heavenly kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom. And even the disciples that were with him night and day, traveling with him these three years, they had a hard time grasping that. Well, a lot of times we begin to wonder, would we have grasped that? We have vastly asked that in the last couple of weeks, and, and I'm more and more convinced that I would not have. <laughs> Based on how I respond to biblical teaching and truth now, and uh, have worry and fear from time to time creep into my life. You know, it's one of those things. No, we look at the present, and sometimes we allow the present to overwhelm us. Well, when we begin to open up to uh, Mark chapter 11, look in verses 7 and 8, we begin to find some of the details of Palm Sunday. And uh, certainly there's an expanded view of this. There's a lot of details that we're not going to cover because I'm trying to, to hit one kind of main fault this morning and, and hopefully overlooking some of those other beautiful passages. Uh, we won't lose the beauty of Palm Sunday, but we'll see the significance of the verses that we do look at, verses 7 and 8. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. As they took these palm branches and they put them down, uh, uh, what we see is kind of a visual from the Old Testament in 2 Kings 9.13 this is one of the things that the king at that time, when he was t- returning in victory, they took off palm branches and they put them down. Palm branches signified, symbolized victory. And so as he was coming back into town back in the Old Testament, uh, they threw these palm branches down. And, and so what we believe is that very much the symbolism of the palm branch of victory is why that they have the palm branches. They're, they're bringing Christ into the city of Jerusalem and they're welcoming him, welcoming him in, uh, this victorious kind of mindset. And when they cry out, they're actually quoting scripture. They're actually quoting scripture from Psalms, Psalms 118 verses 25 and 26. And that was a messianic passage. It was a passage written in the Old Testament prophesying that one day a Messiah was going to come. So when we put all that together and we look in verse 9 and 10 and see what they were shouting, it begins to kind of give us the context of what was happening on that Palm Sunday. Look at verse 9 and 10. Again, they're quoting from a passage in Psalms that is a messianic prophecy. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So they're, they're quoting scripture. But is it possible to quote scripture and actually quote scripture out of context? We do it all the time. (laughs) We do. Sometimes it's from a lack of understanding the context. Sometimes it's because we have a preconceived notion of where we want that scripture to to land. And and in a way, I believe that they're very honorable in one way, that they're, they're crying out and that they really do believe that this Christ is the Messiah. I think there's a lot of authenticity in this crowd. But I also think that there's some ignorance in this crowd. Could that describe us sometimes in our zealousness for the word? That sometimes we really do cry out from the word and we claim something from the word and we're authentic. We really do mean it. And yet sometimes it's a lack of understanding that maybe we don't know the fullness of that. So I'm not really faulting this crowd as they uh, give this proclamation of victory and, and this welcome to Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. In fact, it's all part of God's big plan. But what it shows is the vulnerability that we have in life. We have a life that oftentimes we have a perspective of what's right in front of us. And even though they had the scripture, they still had a limited understanding of really what was going on. And and the Bible says that time and time again about the people, the Jewish people, and it says it of the disciples. Time and time again, we just see that sometimes the, the disciples, they spent night and day with Jesus and oftentimes they were still a little bit clueless. Well, look what happens. They, they uh, as, as we begin to look on this, what seems to be a spontaneous res, uh, response is based on their growing knowledge of Jesus. They've heard about the miracles. They've probably, some of them have seen the miracles, the healings. Uh, recently, there has been this uh, Lazarus who has been brought back from the dead. They've seen the resurrection of somebody that they knew was dead and had been dead for days, and how Christ resurrected him. So all of this is adding to the prophecy that we find in the Old Testament. And I keep on saying prophecy, and I keep on bringing up the Old Testament, because it is such an important link to the purpose of our study this morning. Guys, Either we're going to see a God who is not sovereign, who has to deal with the chaotic world. And he's trying to fumble together. And, and trying to, to, to fix little situations. Or we see a sovereign God. Who truly has order from Genesis to Revelation. And beyond. And we're really going to kind of come down. In our real own life. To an understanding. And a practical application of that. Either we are going to rest. In times of chaos in our lives. In the sovereignty of God. And all we're going to have. It's not the end of the story of what's happening in our life. All we're going to have is the end of the story of what happens eventually, biblically. He doesn't tell us, okay, you're going to get over this sickness. or You're going to get another job. You're going to be able to do this. There are so often times when chaos comes upon our lives, we're going to come down to a fundamental belief about God. I'm not saying the truth about God, because I know that what the truth is about God. He is sovereign. <laughs> Nothing escapes him. But in that moment of chaos in our life, how quickly it is that sometimes being overwhelmed with the facts that are before us, fear, anxiety, and all these things come into our hearts. And the very challenge that this is a sovereign God who is over all things begins to diminish and begins to fade from the truthfulness of our mind and our heart. Does that make sense? How easy that is for it to happen. Because I, I want you to understand that if we really begin to understand Old Testament prophecy and how it's being fulfilled in this Passion Week, this last week of Christ, we gain a great understanding and a great confidence in our own lives that God really is in control. He, he's not sitting there having to deal with chaotic moments here on earth. And having to give attention to that, because if that's the truth, if he truly is just kind of dealing with chaos as chaos begins to happen, then we have a God who is reacting instead of a God that is proactive. You study the nature of God, he's a proactive God. Why? Because he already knows everything. I mean, when we really think of the qualities of God, there's a reason why he is proactive and not reactive. And yet you and I, in our best of plans, <laughs> have maybe 10-20% of proactivity. And would you admit that most of the time, maybe 70-80%, we are just reactive people to the chaos that's around us. It's an important truth to understand because as we look, look in Zechariah nine. 9. Zechariah is kind of a, one of those hard ones to find, so just look on the on the screen there (laughs) if you can't find it immediately. But look what it says, and see if you find anything familiar here. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Do you see anything that's familiar there, written in the Old Testament, prophesying what would one day come true in the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, in this Messiah. Why is that important? To prove the the, the truthfulness of God's word? Well, it certainly does that. It shows us more and more that we can trust this word of God. Folks, it tells us something more that's an application of our lives. This is a God who is in control. This is not a God who's reacting to chaos around us. Now, in one way, this description of events make it difficult to understand how things could change so quickly. That on a Sunday, that he can come in to this applause, this uh, acceptance, this adoration, this declaration of victory. How can that happen one day? And then just days later, he's under arrest. He's thrown into false trials. He's beaten and scourged and then eventually hung on a tree. It, It almost seems like, oh my goodness, Are we reading the same story? And and I don't mean this in a political way, but guys, we've seen it happen on our own lives. This council culture that we kind of live in now. You can be here one day, and the next day you can be there. I mean, we kind of see how fast things can really happen in humanity. And and that would begin to make us think, oh my goodness, look at this vulnerability that we're susceptible to. The truth is, you and I, on human terms, are very much vulnerable to a lot of susceptibility. Hurt, disappointments. And yet in the bigger picture, if we truly believe a sovereign God and a personal God who knows us, not only by name, but has desired a personal relationship with us, then we are not cast off to these different things that can happen. I mean, would you admit that there's a certain vulnerability in humanity? (laughs) And if that is not overshadowed, if this is not kind of over uh, a sovereign God in our knowledge of God, then we should be afraid. We should be very afraid. The truth about God will bring peace to the heart of man when the circumstances of our life do not dictate peace. You look at the triumphant entry and you're going, my goodness, the highest of highs. But you look just days later at Christ on the cross and you think, oh my goodness, lowest of lows. How could things have transpired so quickly? Is mankind, is even the Christ that vulnerable to the things of Man. And without proper perspective and proper understanding of, of seeing how all of this was part of God's plan prophesied centuries before, it would look like chaos. You see, you and I have the advantage of looking back now and saying, hey, it was all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. I, I love when, as we get older, we can look back and, uh, and, and see things in our lives that our parents told us. And we found out that our parents actually were right. Has that ever happened to you? (laughs) It's like, okay, you know, at 14, I don't believe it. Maybe at 24, I don't believe it. Then all of a sudden, 34 or 44, and you're gone. My parents were right. In fact, they were very right. And it's that age of wisdom and experience that all of a sudden shows us, oh, we needed more knowledge. We needed more understanding to gain that wisdom. We have the perspective today that we have all the Bible. We have uh, as, as far as up to this point, you know this knowledge of God, how Christ rose from the dead, how he ascended into heaven, we, we see the rest of the story, and we 're going okay don 't you know yes the the death on the cross it 's a sad, sad day, but don 't stop there, and we 're able to continue on in our thinking, why because it 's been revealed in god 's word. look what it says in uh, when Or when we begin to look at the disciples, we begin to see just how they lacked understanding. Uh, look how the Gospel of John records uh, this whole event. John 12, 14 and 15. And Jesus found a young donkey, donkey and sat on it as just as it is written. It was prophesied. Told you this was going to happen. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on the donkey called. Sounds very familiar to what we just read in Mark's gospel of what actually happened. But look at what the next verse says in verse sixteen, in the Gospel of John. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, this is later on, they did not. They, they uh, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. But do you understand what's happening there? When the immediacy of the moment, they didn't have understanding, even though it had been prophesied and told of old, it was only after they kind of looked back and they remembered, all oh, right, Jesus said this was going to happen. Remember the Old Testament prophets? God told them to prophesy these things. Now guys, I'm not trying to, 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 to confuse us, but to give us understanding of, this is one story. Genesis, Revelation, it's one story. We've broken it up into different chapters and verses and different things like that, and it's certainly written over the eons of time by different people, but that's part of the beauty of the Bible. But it is one story that has, that God has for us from from beginning to end. And, And why that is so important is because we can have moments where we go from this victorious Sunday of a Palm Sunday and triumphant entry to the tragedies of being betrayed and denied, disciples running for their lives in fear. You and I kind of live this story. Yesterday at the um, children's event, we told the story of uh, uh, that Passion Week. And uh, I should have brought them today. Probably it would have been helpful for us, even though we're a little bit older. It was a smiley face and a sad face. <laughs> and we went and we started with uh, the triumph of entry. And they had to guess, okay, is this a sad thing or is this a happy thing? And so we showed the first kind of part and told that part of the story. And, of course, all the kids. That's a happy part when he comes in. And then we went through each kind of event of the Passion Week. And they had to kind of, is this the happy part or is this the sad part? And what we found is that there was as many, if not more, sad parts of that week as there were happy parts. In fact, there was a lot of sadness in that week. And part of my purpose of doing that is because that's all. You know, the story of the crucifixion of Christ is kind of a hard one to tell story, to, to tell the children. I mean, for them to grasp. Well, what do you mean, my Jesus is dying on the cross? Well, that's kind of overwhelming when you really think about it from a children's perspective. And yet the important thing is, how does the story end? And so we didn't stop at the cross. We told the rest of the story. Told about how an empty tomb. And then how Jesus appeared to some of the ladies there. And then then told them to go tell others. And then he appeared to his disciples. They were still kind of a little bit in unbelief. And then he sat down and he ate with them to kind of prove that he was physically alive. We try to finish that story because any time that we interrupt the story of the gospel, and if we just stop at certain places, we don't get a complete picture. And yet how you and I are vulnerable to the sad parts of our lives. Well, we don't see the complete story. And so sometimes in that, we, we, we kind of focus on the sad parts, and we get we get stuck in that. I mean, if you think about the sad parts of the Passion Week, think about it. A betrayal of Judas... The denial of Peter, the arrest and false trials of Jesus, the mocking and the insults and the beatings that he endured, finally the death on a cruel cross between two criminals. But please understand this. Every one of those events, every one of those events had been predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament. This is not God looking down from the heavens going, oh my goodness, didn't see that coming. Thought Judas was going to be true. Oh, I thought even if Judas failed, Peter would be true. None of that, none of that escapes the wisdom and the sovereignty of God. All of this prophesied. Go back to Isaiah, go back to all these different uh, prophecies, over 350 prophecies about the Christ, and every one of them come true. From ground zero, it looked like everything was coming apart. I mean, that was the disciples' perspective. You know that term, ground zero? Are you familiar with that? It's actually, from what I understand, from the research I did, a a pretty recent term um, defined of right above, right below, or at the moment of impact of a nuclear bomb. It's ground zero. And so this is explosion, and, and, and ground zero is the, the, the impact of, of this powerful explosion. Probably more familiar to us, as far as in daily use, uh, was probably the events of 9-11. And we think of ground zero as uh, where the towers came down, and oftentimes we'll still rev- refer to that as ground zero. And on that day, you know, when you look at the aftermath of, of what happened, can that produce fear in your life? Could, could that produce wonder? Could it produce I'm wondering, oh my goodness, I, I don't know. If this happened today, what's going to happen tomorrow? I, I remember that week. You remember probably that week. That as much as we believe in God, and as much as we uh, are proud of our country and, and all these different things, there was a lot of wonderment. Why? Because our eyes were on ground zero. And we didn't have a lot of answers. And in that wonderment, we wondered if our whole way of life might be forever changed. Now it's kind of hard to go back to that because now it's been years later. We've seen that certainly there has been recovery and there's been all these things and 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 you, you can kind of assume now that okay, uh, yes there's still a vulnerability out there but but you know we have a confidence maybe in uh American military, maybe we have a confidence that we have as uh, as Christians in in the sovereignty of our God. But from ground zero in those things there was a lot of wonderment of just wondering what's next. And I can only imagine that the disciples that were that way. So is there any hope for us who have to live at ground zero of our lives? I'm going to share with you two things this morning that give us hope from our own ground zeros. From, From the own events in our own lives when tragedy, when sadness, when things that we did not expect come into our lives. Two things. But I do want to tell you right up front, these are not two new things. If you have been going to church, if you were kind of raised in the church, it's the same two things you've heard for most of your life. Because truth doesn't change, guys. I know we always want something novel. I know that, I understand that we're always, you know, kind of like weight loss. Hey, is there a new plan that is, (laughs) I don't have to exercise. I don't have to, I can still eat ice cream. Is there a plan out there that I can do the things I want but get a different result? I understand that within us. And yet here's the two things that will bring peace in those dark times. When the chaos enters into our lives, that will bring us back to a biblical perspective. Number one, trusting that God is in control. Now, does that mean that God is infinitely moving every little piece on the board? No, there's a lot of things that God has under his authority. Everything is under his authority, but a lot of things he's allowed to to happen. Allowed to happen, that doesn't even mean that he proposed that to happen. But that ultimately, God is in control. Second thing, by staying in God's word, we begin to see his plan. There is, there are very few things that can even begin to approach to give us the perspective that God's Word does. Certainly prayer, we don't want to diminish prayer. The power of the Holy Spirit giving us a calm. He comforts us. We see that that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. So we're making much of that. But but the Word of God instructs us on those things. And so we, we find out what the role of the Holy Spirit is, not because we've made that up, because the Word of God tells us. So that's why I say, You know, by staying in God's word, it is going to give us a a perspective of how he does things and, and how he's carrying out his plan. Please, 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 folks, do not underestimate the power of perspective of those two truths. Please do not underestimate that. Without them, your eyes remain on ground zero. All you see is the chaos and the destruction around you. You see, is this was the plan, and the plan has come awry. We can't see anything. It's only through God's word, through his spirit, and through this knowledge of who he is, that we can have any sense of calm or direction. Without them, our circumstances will dictate our feelings. They really will. But with them, the views taken even at ground zero take on a lofty and heavenly perspective. Please do not hear in that any form of mysticism, okay? but rather the reality that God is in control. Let me end this morning with an example. Remember the meaning of the palm branches on Palm Sunday when they laid them out before them? Uh, as Jesus wrote into Jerusalem, what did the palm branches stand for if we believe that they were kind of going upon some of the things that we read in the Old Testament? Victory, victory and triumph. And so they were, they were saying to this Christ, this Messiah, man, victory is come. And they're looking for this political agenda that's the Messiah to build a, a country back better than the, what David had left. And yet from ground zero, (laughs) the next week didn't look like anything like victory. In fact, just the opposite. Was God fulfilling his plans and his promises even in the events that would come that we would consider greatly sad and just looked chaotic in their nature? Turn to Revelation chapter 7. I want to link this whole idea of victory in the palm branches into the rest of the story. Revelation chapter 7, now again, this is end times. Many of you uh, would be familiar with Revelation. That's kind of the, la- this is the last book of the Bible. It talks about things that are sometimes yet to come. Some of that has been fulfilled, but a lot of it is yet to be co- to, to come. And yet we're prophesying, these are prophecies of what will happen. So how does this deal with Palm Sunday at all? Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. And after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. He tells us the rest of the story. We live at ground zero, guys. Let's not make light of that. But let's make much. That in this chaotic world when we can be on top one day and just two or three days later seem like death is upon us, just as it was in that Passion Week, let us gain a perspective of heaven. I'm not saying that we're going to know a reason for every single thing. God keeps some things very mysterious. But if we know the truth about God, that he is sovereign over all, that he does not respond to chaos, that he already has all knowledge and all power, If we go to his word and we begin to see how the story ends, that even on those days when it looks like there's nothing but chaos and destruction around us, we will know in the end, if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we win. I, I, I don't say that in a light way. I don't even say that in a way like, okay, like a football game we win. I don't know about you, but on those days when chaos is there and Ground Zero, all I see is destruction of what I thought was built. I need the eternal hope of who my God is, and I need to be able to read in there the rest of the story and say, "Okay, God, I'm hanging on for one more day by Your power through Your Spirit, because I see how You finish the story." And 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 Father, thank You that victory is coming. It's not here today, but it's coming. And my victory is in Christ and all that he's accomplished. Does that make sense? Because if not, then Palm Sunday seems like a really, really tragic, <laughs> false victory to the rest of the week. Seems like, well, like we are already set up for failure of everything else that would come. But when we see it in the grand scheme of God's one story of salvation then it gives us hope for the days that we have to deal with that in our own lives. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, truth is we live at ground zero and you're fully aware of that, Father. You're aware of all things. Father, how easily our feelings, our emotions, Father, our beliefs are factored in and and, and and, impressed and kind of directed by those things that are immediately before us. And Father, you don't make light of those things. You don't make light of tragedy in our lives and hurt and disappointments, but you make much of your power and the victory of the cross. So Father, we're not minimizing somebody who's lost, somebody who's experienced death in their family, death of relationship, death of other things in our lives. Father, we mourn over those things, and rightly so. But Father, we see your promises. We see how this Passion Week, Father, fulfills everything that you said through the prophets of Isaiah, Zechariah, and all these others. Father, we see that it is a story that you are finishing to your glory and for our salvation. Father, help us to know you, who you are. And we do that through your word. Help us truly just to be in your word, to be before your face, Father, before your throne in prayer. Father, help us never to belittle how those disciplines in our life help guide us through the chaos and present to us an internal perspective. Father, to you may all the glory come. And until that day, Father, that we gather around your throne. Until that day, Father, when there will be no more weeping and no more tears. Until that day, Father, when we see the final victory of Christ in all of its fullness. Father, keep us in the hope of that story. We love you and we thank you. And we praise you for the sacrifice, the death, burial, and resurrection of our beloved Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.